The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of NBA Today. Hoopball presentation. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. I know it's been a minute, but we're going to keep it rolling. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, follow, find, find, follow both of that, all that. Just look up the fine folks of Hoopball on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets, online hoop-ball.com. We got a little bit of news. We got training camp starting uh, tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday the 30th, so really uh, – the last of November as we move into December and then just another day closer to the end of this crazy, horrifying year. And uh, that's going to be exciting. But I have a guest uh, to, to, to come on and, and talk basketball with me. You've probably heard him before in the basketball breakdown, another hoop ball presentation. But in case you didn't, make sure to check that out. You can also find him on Twitter at DFB underscore three. We got David here. David, how's it going, man? Man, Corbin, it's going excellent. Very, very happy to be on the pod this evening. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. I'm hyped to have you on, kind of talk some basketball here. It's been a minute. Uh, uh, for, the, for the listeners here, we're going back to full five days uh, podcast. So you're going to be hearing a lot of me uh, just every day now. But I was trying to take advantage of the little lapse in time to, you know, steal a little myself before the craziness starts. And, and here we are with training camp starting tomorrow. So let's let's actually go into the first little bit of news. And actually just broke uh, not even a minute ago, uh, David, but – um, the Timberwolves signed Rondé Hollis Jefferson to a deal. What do, what do you think about that? I think that's interesting. You know, it's probably to help them create some kind of defensive culture in that locker room and bring in another veteran who has had his fair share of locker room experience. So I think ultimately it's probably kind of a character move for their roster and probably a pretty good one. I like Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that he actually like scored less than he had the season before, but it worked out better in his favor in terms of being a defensive guy and energy uh, wing. He plays between the three and the four, someone who can, you know, kind of get around the glass. He averaged seven points, four rebounds, and just under two assists a game over 60 games uh, last year for Toronto. Uh, over his career, you know, nine points, five rebounds, one assist. The dude can't shoot. Uh, a career 21% shooter from three. He shot 13% uh, with the Raptors on, on very limited attempts. So uh, you have that going for you there. He was just... Um, Three of 23. So, okay, that wasn't as limited. Jeez, that's ugly. But on the defensive end, I do like him there, Uh, especially maybe if he's – I don't think he's going to be a starter. I think Juancho Ernan Gomez is definitely penciled in as a starting four alongside Carl Anthony Towns. But I could see Rondé getting a shot there because the Wolves have – more than enough um, mouths to feed in the offensive end. When you look up and down, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley at the two, Anthony Edwards, you put him at the three, and Carl Anthony Towns at the five. You know, whether that's Wancho or that is uh, Rondé, that four man, you know, whatever you can get around the basket, maybe get some shots looked for you, but you're definitely not getting shots kind of put out in place for you. You know, you already have enough guys who can put the ball in the basket and frankly do it better, you know? So I like that fit as having someone who's more defensive oriented and someone who doesn't need the ball and can play as like a role man, you know, uh, undersized role man to be sure, but someone who played mostly five last year for the first time in his career, I mean, mostly four, I mean, last year for the Raptors as well. And I do like that defensive versatility that that leads to the, the um, Timberwolves. So that, that's interesting to me. Um, okay, but moving right along from that, that just happened. I wanted to kind of get down to that immediately. But let's talk about a, a guy who will no longer be seeing action in terms of basketball. Andrew Bogut today announced his retirement 
from professional basketball. Remember, he's had a professional career that's lasted over 15 years. He was drafted number one overall in the 2005 NBA draft uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. He played for them, the Warriors, uh, the Mavericks, the Cavs, and the Lakers. You might have forgotten those last two injuries really had a big part in that. And they kind of played a role in Dallas as well. But he did win an NBA championship in 2015. He was in the all-rookie first team. Uh, he was an all-NBA team in 2010. He was an all-defensive team in 2015. And he had a year where he was a leader in block shots in 2011. So he definitely had his moments. Injuries uh, curtailed a lot of his effectiveness, uh, definitely in the NBA. But for someone to you know average over 14 years in the NBA, 9 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and a, and a, a block and a half, uh, win a ring, make some impact on that way. He was more of an unconventional number number one, but I thought he was uh, someone that you know made a mark in the, in the league at least for a short period of time as a key cog on a impactful NBA championship team. But uh, do you have any thoughts on, on what do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed the you know you nailed it right on the head, Corbin. I mean, this is a guy who has had a very very long career in the NBA. Uh, kind of took a little bit of time to settle into his role. Obviously, like you said, you know, one number one overall draft pick, so expectations were pretty high but I mean the big Australian came into the league and he was a solid fixture defensively uh, offensively you know you didn't really ask a whole lot out of him but he was definitely competent um, and you saw a lot of the tenacity from him on the defensive and especially in the world play when Team USA would draw Australia so yeah I mean Andrew Bogut had a great career uh, definitely all credit in the world to him glad he was able to get out of there with a ring oh yeah for sure for sure I wish it made more of an impact on the Lakers it's my team uh didn't work out the way, <laughs> the way it should have. But, like, I liked his passing. Um, and I think, like you said, you brought a lot that he did overseas, especially especially playing with Australia, that made an impact on his overall basketball career. And he wanted to play in the 2021 Olympics, but he said that, you know, he just couldn't get himself mentally and physically ready to He had, had his ankle cleaned out, which I don't even know what that is, but that sounds very scary. Um, just <laughs> a, a, a large uh, array of injuries that really – uh, impacted him and, and, and took him away from, you know, playing the way he wanted to. He said it was a lot of painkillers, a lot of things going on. So, you know, I, I think that he made the smart decision. He definitely had himself a heck of a career and happy trails to Andrew Bogut for sure. Um, moving on from that to the Lakers that I mentioned, uh, let's talk about, you know, Dennis Schroeder. The Lakers were able to acquire him in a trade just before free agency madness started, uh, basically sending Danny Green out along with their pick uh, 28th for Dennis Schroeder. However, you know, Dennis Schroeder, runner-up for six-man of the year last year, basically said, and actually I'm just going to read the quote. He said, I did this off-the-bench stuff already in two years with OKC. I think I try to move forward, and I think with Anthony Davis and LeBron, I can be helpful as a starter in the point guard position. This is what he said in an introductory video conference call with reporters today. So he's made it very clear that, you know, he um, wants to start even though he did mention that he's not spoken to Lakers coach Frank Vogel about his desire to start. So uh, apparently he uh, told his agent uh, to communicate that to the team, that if you trade for me, I'm looking to start. So there's that. That's what he said. So there's that. And that's what I'm saying. So there's that. Um, what do y'all think? I mean, what do y'all think? What do you think, uh, David, about him wanting to start a point guard uh, just coming off the top? <laughs> you know, I guess traditionally one would kind of take pause when you have a guy of Schroeder's caliber coming onto a roster that features Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and he is immediately trying to dictate what he thinks of the roster adjustments need to be. Um, you know, typically that would kind of be a, uh, you know, who do you think you are moment, but exactly. I think Schroeder is, 
Personally, I think Schroeder is honestly an ideal fit for the Lakers for a combination of reasons. Uh, the first reason being that, you know, this is another guy who can be very effective in the pick and roll. This is a guy who can facilitate playmaking, kind of ease the burden on LeBron when you had, uh, unfortunately, Rajon Rondo walk out the door. You did lose Avery Bradley as well. So as far as your perimeter playmaking, you're going to be relying more on, you know, obviously you have LeBron, so you're never too terribly worried about it. But you're going to be relying more on your Caruso's of the world, your KCP's and et cetera. So having a guy like that to kind of, give you some, a solid anchor when LeBron is off of the court. Um, it's definitely going to be good. Obviously, offensively, this is a guy who can score from multiple levels. Um, and really the big thing that I think the Lakers are looking to do here with both this edition and the addition of Montrez mm -hmm. is prepare for this sprint of an NBA season because it's going to be rough. I mean, it, games are going to be coming at you quick, fast, and in a hurry. Obviously, we know that the Lakers are coming off of the least rest of anybody because they won the NBA championship. I mean, between them and the heat, you know, obviously the, the window was a pretty short one there. Having a guy like Schroeder, having a guy like Montrez there to kind of keep you afloat during those regular season games where you rest a LeBron, you rest an Anthony Davis to keep that offensive engine going. I think it's going to be so, so key for the Lakers this season as they kind of trek along to the playoffs. So, I mean, Schroeder's talking a big game, but honestly he, he might get, you know, the meal he's looking for. So, Personally, I think the Lakers are going to have really little or no choice but to start him just because of what he'll be able to bring to the table offensively um, and kind of give them another dimension that I think the Lakers are definitely going to be needing on the perimeter. So what about you? What are your takeaways from that? Comment? No, I think I think you make a great point uh, in, in the addition. Like you mentioned, I think it's really a really insightful one about bringing shorter alongside Harold with this quick turnaround being more minutes eaters because that's what they're going to get. You can imagine that LeBron James not only turning 36 but just having led the Lakers to this championship not even two months ago is going to have a lot of rest time. That's that's just a given. You can imagine Anthony Davis getting the same thing, maybe not as much as LeBron but definitely getting some rest as well. So we have these guys who are going to get a lot of run, you know, who, from a town perspective can still play up their matchup evenly while giving rest to, you know, your big guns in LeBron in AD. And I think that is smart. As Schroeder coming in, I do think the cojones are, are a little bold there to go to a champion and go, hey, I'm, I'm starting, Um, you know, unless coaching staff or anyone's giving their blessing. That's that's a bold thing to say. I don't care what your agent said, you know, in that case, because you can be starting OKC too, but I think you'll find your situation in Los Angeles a heck of a lot uh, more, uh, quote unquote, comfortable. So there's something there for that. With that being said, I do like his fit as a starter alongside this team. I think he's someone who can make some plays on the offensive end, make some plays on the weak side and do some damage in that regard. Um, especially, you know, if it's shooting off the bounce in the mid range uh, and alongside LeBron as well, defensively it's going to be interesting because they're going to hide him a little bit uh, just because I think he's a pesty guy, but he does give a little bit of size. Uh, and that is the kind of thing, especially at the point guard position. So that's on the monitor, but like all in all, I, I love the addition of Schroeder and to a lesser extent, Harold, who I have more problems on the defensive end, but I'm also, I guess, more, um, hopeful because the defensive personnel with the Lakers was a lot better than the Clippers in both players and scheme. I think like you had one in Kawhi and Paul George, you know, but Paul George is a little bit different and, and Kawhi has been slipping on the defensive end. He's still a very good defender, but after having assumed as much offensive responsibilities he has had to do, you know, he's not as been as feared as a defender as he is, uh, you know, in his heyday. Um, but with that being said, I mean, I guess he has to start because you only have, like you said, with the loss of Rondo and Quinn Cook being waived, uh, Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker as your only other uh, quote-unquote ball handlers. And Alex Caruso is okay. I don't look at him as a traditional point guard at all, but he's someone that does that. Taylor Horton Tucker still has a little bit uh, more room to grow uh, before we see where he is as a kind of guard or offensive initiator. And I think he'll get that run uh, this year with the Lakers, like we just talked about, him needing more time to um, 
you know, play. Just give some more minutes eaten up while you give some more rest to these other guys. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Schroeder is in the final year of his contract, so I wonder if that's going to be an issue. He'll make $15 million this year. Uh, apparently, he sees himself with the Lakers as uh, – uh, uh, he wants to see himself as a long few, long-term fit, but he's talked a good game. Hey, I try to focus on this year, see what happens. So hopefully, there is no clash there. I don't think that there will be of veterans like LeBron, uh, like AD. You have guys like um, – I just thought brought him up. Jared Dudley, who just got re-signed. I don't think that there will be any type of um, unrest, but I don't think that's the best sign. You know what I mean? In my mind, you go, you talk to your coach, you you bring up the fact that, hey, I'm optimistic. I want to start. But with that being said, you know, play the old line. It's been done before. Whatever it takes to win, you know? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I went on a ramble there. I'm sorry. (laughs) I had thoughts. No, no, I I agree with every single thing that you said, man. And, you know, I think that your concerns about Harrell on a defensive end are definitely valid. Um, I think that the biggest thing for the Lakers, obviously, they had a really, really great offseason, in my opinion. Um, and I know we're going to do offseason grades later on. Um, but the big thing, I think, for them, getting Harold and having a guy like a Marc Gasol or an Anthony Davis to kind of stabilize that back line is going to be so key because Harold is such a big energy guy. He can be a real pest and really make guys uncomfortable, both in the low post and as they kind of try to make plays on the perimeter. So I think, again, it, ultimately, the, the individual pieces, when you look at them, just standalone. You may have questions, but I think as a whole, the Lakers moves this offseason really make a lot of sense and are going to definitely pay dividends for them. For sure. For sure. Speaking of another team that we hope, you know, has some uh, pieces that pay dividends. Let's go on to New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans made some moves. Got some wheeling and dealing going on. Uh, you have uh, you lost Drew Holiday in a fortune in a 14 trade. You acquired a. Uh, Former Thunder center Stephen Adams. You got Milwaukee Bucks guard Eric Bledsoe alongside Zion Williamson. Recently re-signed uh, Brandon Ingram, um, Lonzo Ball. All these guys uh, together uh, with the new coach in, in Stan Van Gundy. And so you had a on a Zoom call say, you know, find me a four or five together anywhere in the league that's as physical as those two. We made that trade. I said, look, the one thing I know for sure, you might come in here and shoot the ball great. You might find a way to beat us, but you're not punking the New Orleans Pelicans ever with those two guys next to each other. That is a thing that you're, that's definitely right, not going to happen. Um, but something I thought that was interesting was what um, uh, Coach Griffin said about uh, Zion Williamson. And this is something I, I got to get the actual uh, quote here just because I want to make sure – I'm saying as, as as right as possible, but just apparently he wants to see Zion not only uh, play the three, but also handle the ball some. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, size wise, Zion can do that. I think. Um, I think he's had limited moments. You know, that I've seen that six foot six. You know, obviously the dude's a tank, but initiating the offense from that way, I, I always look at him as more of a play finisher than like a. I don't know. I don't see him in my head like a like a offensive initiator like a LeBron, like a Luka, and obviously he wouldn't be with the type of play style that he has, but that is interesting. You know, in terms of, I see, I thought, uh, and I'm sure most people do think, that an idealized version of Zion would be at the five, you know, someone whose gravity at the rim will open up so much with his physique just being able to get terror off the pick and roll, you know, someone that, you know, messed around the three ball a little bit, can stretch it out like this ultimate multi-purpose kind of small ball five. But with him going to the three, uh, I'm definitely getting shades of Charles Barkley in that vein. What do you think, David, about uh, this potential move and, and what exactly David Griffin is thinking? You know, it, it's so funny that you say Barkley because that's the first guy that I thought of, you know, when I, I saw that report. And, you know, I, I think for for certain reasons it makes sense. For other reasons it doesn't. It makes sense for the sake of his development. It makes sense for his combination of size and athleticism, you know, mixed with his blend of playmaking, you know, we've seen flashes of a jump shot that could, you know, you hope one day to be something that guys would have to respect. 
um, in the league because obviously we know the physicality that he brings to the table and his ability to absolutely blow by guys is definitely something you don't question. So I, I like the idea to try to bring him out to the perimeter, hopefully to make him more comfortable out there. Uh, you know, you, you would not want a Ben Simmons type of situation where a guy is just so hesitant to take a shot. He absolutely becomes a non-threat to shoot one whatsoever. Um, and then you really compromise yourself offensively. So maybe it's, you know, to kind of help Zion find himself in this new NBA to kind of figure out what he needs to do to really be effective uh, in multiple ways as a scorer uh, and as a high-level playmaker. But uh, for the reasons it doesn't really make sense to me is, you know, everything kind of in reverse. I mean, like you said, this, this guy's huge. I mean, his playmaking, we've seen flashes of it, but he is not a terribly competent ball handler, as I don't think he necessarily should be. I mean, again, he's only been in the league for a, a season, you know, give, give the guy plenty of time to develop here, as developed as he clearly already is. I mean, good God, he, he is the teammate, so... <laughs> Yep. I think that, you know, him and Steven Adams on the low block definitely gives you flashbacks to, uh, you know, your 90s, 80s kind of style teams that would really just make you pay for it if you tried to score in the low post or if, you know, you're trying to get to the basket. But um, I, I think it's just going to have to wait and see. Stan Van Gundy's always done a great job, you know, creating space for big players, uh, you know, whether it was Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, he did a good job, I thought, with the Pistons, with Andre Drummond, et cetera. So I, I'm curious to see what this – Pelicans roster kind of looks like because in my opinion this will definitely be uh, one of the more talented rosters that he's ever been uh, you know had to work with so that's definitely a, a good thing for him going in but yeah it, it's definitely a wait and see for me uh, what are you what are your takeaways from that announcement um I think it's interesting I definitely like the versatility uh, I almost think almost like how the Lakers did with Brandon Ingram a couple years back where they played him a lot at the one even though we all knew that Brandon Ingram wasn't a one uh, for his development it really helped him to kind of grow more of his on-ball skills and offensive initiating that now he added added to this package where his school scoring became realized you know what I mean so maybe picking up some of those skills isn't the worst thing I don't know if long term I agree like that's going to be the place to be not only I don't think you're making the most of his physical attributes but just in terms of general scheme however I do think that you know for the growth of Zion like yeah why not you know what I mean playing there mix and match kind of see where he can work you know, he's your franchise guy moving forward. If he can be a multi-positional, you know, three through five player, then why not? You know, similar to a Zion, except smaller. Because um, I think, I mean, not similar to a Zion, similar to a Giannis, except smaller. You know what I mean? Because I think Giannis did play a three a lot in his early years. So I, I, I think it's interesting for sure. I, I'm not too, like, crazy about it. But then again, sometimes the GMs will say a lot and then you'll see, like, spot minutes of Zion at the three. But for the most part, I, I don't see it unless you're putting someone like, I'm trying to throw in my head real quick. Like you're playing super big with Lonzo at the one, Brandon at the two, Zion at the three, Jackson Hayes at the four, and Stephen Adams at the five. You know, like you know, like and even that I don't think is a great lineup. That's kind of it's kind of wonky there. You know, so maybe there's moments yeah. about that size yeah. and you overwhelm people. But yikes! Yeah, that'd it, be a pretty big be, lineup. And yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, I guess you never know. You know, in the West. You know, you got some big bodies out there. You know, you got your Portland with your Nurkic and your Colin. You got your Denver. Obviously, you got Lakers, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, that would be a pretty supersized lineup, and I think it would definitely kill them from a from a shooting perspective. So I, I don't see them running with that too much. Nah, for sure, for sure. So I'm glad we agree on that. I mean, it's interesting. Why not? You're saying you know, these inventive things. You know, not, nothing wrong with that at all. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to, I have to see it to believe it. Um, but real quick, before we kind of get into uh, 
some off-season stuff and definitely asking you about your off-season winners and losers, David. I do want to really quick shout out to Hoopball yet again. Uh, y'all have to take advantage of this. We have the ultimate Hoopball experience right now. You can get the Hoopball 360 right now for just $12.99 a month. That includes the Fantasy Pass, the DFS Pass, the Wager Pass. You have the ultra-early access to the Brewski 150. That is the best Top, uh, top 150 list uh, just in the industry for the past 10 years. That's a crazy amount of time. And you get the Hoopball VIP. We're talking premium shows. We're talking chat rooms. We're talking all of that for y'all. So make sure to check that out. It's industry-leading coverage all year long with the Fantasy Pass. That comes with everything we just mentioned. And it is some really, really great stuff. Um, David, you got any – I mean, you you know just as much as I am. Just tell, tell the people what they need to hear about this. I mean, this is everything that you need. If you are somebody who's looking to win your league, and I hope if you're in a league, you want to win it. You know what I mean? We have all the tools, all the need-to-know info, all the resources you could absolutely ask for. It's a treasure trove. It is the asset that the league wishes that they could acquire. This is the ultimate free agent acquisition right here for you, just waiting on a silver platter. So definitely take advantage. Like Corbin said, we have, we have some really, really awesome guys who have done painstaking work to make sure that you have the competitive advantage that you need going in all your leagues. So definitely check out everything we got going on at Hoopball. You told the people, David, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> definitely make sure to check that out. <laughs> the Hoopball 360 for sure. But you know what? With that being said, let, let's kind of talk about – it's been so crazy. Honestly, I mean, I've kept in contact with you, Dave, for the last couple of days. We've been trying to get this a collaboration going on for a hot minute now, so I'm glad we are able to do this. But it, it's been such a quick turnaround that, like, I'm actually grateful for the few days I had kind of taking a break because now we both just – we mentioned this at the onset. Training camp starts basically tomorrow, and the offseason is almost a twinkle in the eye now, even though it just happened not even a week ago uh, – just over a week ago with the draft, with free agency, with signings, any trades. It's been wacky. So I figured, you know, let's get your perspective on, on, on any winners, any losers. What do you think about this kind of crazy um, offseason? And, and and later on, I'm definitely going to end up doing more shows about, like, kind of previewing certain teams. Maybe come on for that for sure, man. But, like, what do you think about just what it, your your holistic overview of the offseason, what teams you thought did good and did bad? We can kind of kind of talk this out a little bit here. Yeah, you know, uh, for an offseason that didn't necessarily have a whole bunch of marquee names and free agency, uh, it, it was a pretty fun one, uh, pretty, very, pretty, pretty eventful. Uh, draft day wasn't necessarily all that everybody had asked for. I think that we anticipated a little bit more shuffling of the boards there with teams kind of making moves and switching picks. It didn't necessarily happen. But, yeah, overall, it was definitely fun. And, you know, I think that the my biggest one of my biggest takeaways is definitely just looking across the Eastern Conference. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone – could be disappointed with what is going to be a very, very eventful run of games uh, really across the gamut there. I mean, you, you know, you look at Brooklyn and all the rumors about Kevin Durant coming back. Obviously, you know, Kyrie Irving's on the roster. Perhaps James Harden could be coming on the way. Who knows? What they have in tow already is incredible, especially given that coaching staff. Uh, obviously, you know, the Boston Celtics are definitely still going to be very, very competitive. Um, you know, I look for Tatum to take a step forward, especially getting that big time contract. I'm looking for him to take big time plays, especially with the departure of Gordon Hayward. Toronto will remain a fixture, even though they've had to depart from their homes, their home country. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have the teams who are on the phrase, you know, that are that are making moves, you know, some more questionable than others. You have your questionable moves that make sense and don't like your Charlotte's with the signing of Gordon Hayward. You know, you're not necessarily going to bring in a big name like that to Charlotte otherwise, unless you kind of reach for the moon there. So I don't necessarily blame MJ. Uh, like you said, you know, the ceiling is the roof. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and then you look at a team like Atlanta, who, I mean, 
we expected them to, you know, make some kind of step into playoff relevancy. But for me, they're the biggest winners of the offseason with what they did to rehaul that roster. I mean, you, you know, obviously next next summer is going to be, you know, kind of the, the very highly touted free agent class where you're going to have a lot of big names that could possibly be on the move. Uh, but do you really anticipate any of them walking into Atlanta? I don't necessarily not that there's anything against Atlanta. You know, I think a very appealing market, especially for a lot of NBA players, given their lifestyle. But it's just not what you would necessarily think of as a hot free agent destination. So for the front office of Atlanta to go out and do what they had done this offseason and bring in character guys like Rondo and Gallinari to, you know, solidify that bench, especially in the minutes uh, to give the, the Hawks offensive consistency and continuity that they were severely lacking when Trey Young was off of the court. You now have guys that are going to stabilize your roster in that asset. You have guys like Chris Dunn on the roster who's going to bring that defensive versatility that you so desperately need alongside a guy like Trey Young. Um, and then, you know, you have Clint Capella, who you brought in last season. You didn't necessarily get to maximize the use out of him, but now he's back. Uh, you know, there's still some injuries kind of lagging there, but hopefully he's going to be healthy and look good when the season is finally go and, the, you know, the ball gets jumped on. Um, you know, the, the Hawks have a very, very bright future around them. Uh, I think that they are well positioned to, you know, make some noise in the East this season. And I definitely look for them to compete for those spots, kind of six through eight there. Um, so definitely if we're kind of ranking them, I mean, the Hawks to me by far, by far and away had, had, had the best offseason. I'm really, really excited to see what they do uh, with this upcoming season. Um, and if I had to say who the biggest loser was, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I, again, I'm kind of going to have to wait and see. And, and it's going to sound strange, but ultimately, the biggest loser of this offseason may end up being the Bucks, and really? it might okay. be because of and and I got to be careful how I word this because I mean, you're not really losing when you bring in a guy like Drew Holiday, but the, there's still obviously the big question mark of the max extension, super max extension for two-time MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And all of the quote-unquote chatter we have heard was how in favor he was of the Bogdanovich acquisition alongside Holiday. Now, obviously, we know that the Bucs completely botched that. That's kind of what (laughs) happens when you announce you have signed and traded a guy who did not agree to the offer sheet from the team that he was a restricted agent for. before it's actually able to be done. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, if you go into Miriam Webster's dictionary and look up tampering, you will see a picture of the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Because <laughs> I, I mean that's the that's the definition of it. And that's exactly why that trade fell apart. I mean, and that's really unfortunate for them, uh, because obviously we know teams kind of tamper and do what they will. Uh, it's just kind of commonplace. But just egg on their face from Milwaukee and Giannis is still not back from Greece, from you know what I understand. Uh, obviously, you know me and him text pretty regularly, so I'm about, I'm about to say, man, you got the source. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he, he'll let me know when he's stateside. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, everything is still very, very dark uh, in the Milwaukee front office and in, in the camp of Giannis. So, waiting to see. I mean, the clock is really ticking. We only got 21 days left, and and the last day, the 21st, is the shortest day on the calendar year. So, Milwaukee is dreading it. Uh, they're really hoping that they can come to a deal with Giannis and have him sign on that dotted line because if he doesn't, you're looking at potentially staring down that contract with Drew Holiday um, and what is going to be an absolutely decimated roster if Giannis just walks out the door for nada. So it, it's it, it's definitely a situation to monitor very, very closely, and I'm sure that 
not only me and you are, but obviously all front office execs, everybody who watches the game, and you know anybody who's interested in the NBA is going to be monitoring that situation very carefully. Oh, absolutely no question. You're right, because Giannis leaving this roster would be very much akin to when uh, LeBron left Cleveland uh, in 2010-2011. You have a bunch of older guys that aren't going to move the needle one way or the other, uh, really lack of, of real good young talent that you can kind of build around uh, in the wake of his departure, and then you're a team just headed for the, for the cellar of the Eastern Conference, just like um, the LeBron Cavs were back in the day. A lot of that speaks to almost a damning testament to the fact that they didn't do the best they could to build around their star talent, which is why he's leaving. You know, you could say small market till you're blue in the face, but rarely do you see a small market team, at least with these stars that they've had, do everything right to keep the star and just end up losing. You know what I mean? You can go down the list of, of teams that have had people and things that they have done wrong left, right, and center that kind of led to why you know that player left whether it's Cleveland with LeBron in 2010 Kevin Durant with the Thunder in 2016 you know there's other situations where it's okay it sucks we get it you know small market loses again but at the same time some of these moves that were made that were bad weren't even bad in hindsight they were bad the minute they were done you know and in a situation like this where you botch up to this level and you come with a supporting cast that is far 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 inferior than what you had to begin with that sucks I mean, not to mention you have a guy like Dante DiVincenzo, who I thought was supposed to be in Sacramento, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, very, and I mean, it's very weird. Yeah, and when you lose, you know, obviously we, we know the the deficiencies Eric Bledsoe brought to the roster. Obviously, you know, that, that contract, looking at it, when he signed it, we were all kind of like, why? But, I mean, obviously, as we got further down the road there, we, the why just got bolder and bolder. So, I mean, very clearly – having holidays an upgrade for a number of reasons, but you know, you lose George Hill, like you said, you now are relying on DiVincenzo to be another one of your primary playmakers, another one of your primary ball handlers. You're, you're really looking at, you know, outside of Drew, Chris Middleton and Giannis, like, I mean, who, who are you relying on? You lost Wes Matthews on the perimeter. So you lost a high level defender. You know, you have Brooke Lopez still in tow, but Marvin Williams retired. You lost Ilyasova, who was another guy who you could kind of swap out at the four run of the small ball, whatever you really want to do. Um, the, the roster is just so mismatched right now, and they were really game planning to have Bogdanovich. If you have Bogdanovich, I mean, you have Drew Bogdanovich, you have Chris Middleton, you have Giannis, you have Brooke Lopez. That's a damn good five. I mean, th- that is that looks really, really good on paper and on the court. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're looking at Drew and DiVincenzo and Chris Middleton and Giannis and Brooke Lopez, I mean, it's still good, but clearly it's just – it's just not the same. And that's why I say that Milwaukee could end up being the biggest loser here from this offseason because obviously they, they did not they did not execute the Bogdanovich situation the way that they should have. And if that ends up being kind of the straw that broke the camel's back with Giannis signing this Supermax, that is going to haunt them for forever. I mean, Giannis walking out of Milwaukee, you know, it has echoes of Kareem's departure. And Very, you think about yes. You think about how Milwaukee, I mean, this is Milwaukee coming back out of the shadow of Kareem's departure currently with Giannis in this iteration. And I mean, God, I mean, when Kareem was on the Bucks, he was not Kareem. He was Lou Alcindor like that. That's how long ago that was, you know. So Milwaukee has to be they, I'm sure, have been sleeping on eggshells if if they've been sleeping at all, you know, just kind of waiting to see how the situation develops. Um, because, yeah, it's definitely going to be one to watch. And I know you say you're a, you're a big Lakers fan. I, if I had to pick another loser for the offseason, in my personal opinion, it would be the other L.A. team, and, and oh. that would be the Clippers. Okay. I just don't 
And again, you know, you hear all the rumors about what they may potentially be doing, what's yet to come. I just don't know what they really did to get better. I mean, is Ibaka better than Harrell? Defensively, yes. Um, Is he a better perimeter shooter? Yes. Um, Is he a better scorer? I I don't know. Is he a better better for that role? Potentially. And maybe that's ultimately what that was. Maybe it was a character signing, you know, a, a fit kind of thing. Uh, but I, to me, it's it's a questionable improvement, if one at all, um, at least yeah. in a way that I would really be able to say, wow, that they have taken a step forward. Because obviously we saw the huge step back that they took in the bubble against the Nuggets. And I mean, they obviously have a new coach, a coach who's already there, but a new coach. There's a lot of questions. So, I mean, we'll see. You brought in Kennard. You got rid of Shamit. Again, that seems like kind of a lateral move to me. But I don't, I, I don't know. So for me, the Clippers, a lot of question marks for them. I'm with you on that though. I think the Clippers to me is you're right. Like Ibaka is a good move. I'd like him maybe better on the Lakers than Harrell, but Harrell for what the fit was was better. You know what I mean? You're getting someone in Ibaka who's older, hasn't really dealt with injuries as much. I would say like definitely don't think he has an injury uh, late riddle tag on him. But some of that, yeah, rebounding-wise, I think they're about the same. Defensively, uh, yeah, obviously you give the major edge to Ibaka and, and shooting and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that's someone that you're not going to get the same uh, offensive uh, versatility or offensive um, potency that you had with Harold and Lou Williams, you know, even though that was disjointed for a little bit of the season. So that is something to think about. I definitely look at them as, as losing that way. They didn't upgrade significantly or at least as – um, widely as the Lakers did. I guess they collectively thought that they had enough on their roster to run it back and do better. But when you lose 3-1, I don't think your issue is only Montrezl Harrell. You know what I mean? I just, I don't see that. So I think that that was something that they definitely could have worked to improve upon, but didn't. Another loser for me, and I don't really know. Here's the thing. You have teams that are, you know, bottom of the barrel, don't have a clear future ahead, may have a couple of salaries that are bloated and you can't really get rid of them. You have been trying to, tread water in terms of um you tried to tread water in terms of going in and um um what's the word like tread water in terms of going in maybe as a seventh seed eighth seed in the playoffs and competing that way but that hasn't worked out too well so then you go into off season where you have some money you can possibly be a team that takes on bad salary for additional assets and builds them up to kind of you know construct the next great iterative franchise similar to the way the thunder do and instead, you do these moves. I'm going to read them to you. First, you acquire in a trade DeLon Wright, Zan Musa, Rodney Magruder, Dwayne Dedman, and Zyra Smith, who you later waive. Then you, you drafted Killian Hayes, seventh overall, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey, and Sabin Lee. Then, free agency, you sign Mason Plumley, Jalil Okafor, Jeremy Grant, Josh Jackson, and Wayne Ellington. And then, obviously, lose a boatload of people, Bruce Bowen, Luke Kennard, Kyrie Thomas, Tony Snell, uh, Jordan Bowen, Langston Galloway, John Henson, Brandon Knight, Thon McCurr, um, Jordan McCrew, uh, Zvi McCayuk, um, Derek Walton, Christian Wood, Justin Patton, and you're left with everyone I just mentioned, so all those bigs, and Derek Rose, and Blake Griffin, and Sekou Demboya. Yes, I'm talking about the Detroit Pistons. Sorry to bury the lead there. Um, after reading all that, just that was just a list of raw transactions that Detroit Pistons made over the last week. What do you have? Because did you, you? it's not like you have young developing guys. 
Jalokafor is who he is. Jeremy Grant thinks that he has more offensive versatility, and you know what? Power to him for thinking that. Josh Jackson is a young, intriguing talent. Wayne Ellington is is who he is. Same with Mason Plumley. You have those guys. You have Derrick Rose, who I would imagine is most assuredly going to be shipped out over the year. Blake Griffin, who if the Pistons could get rid of him, they would. And Sekou Demboye, who's a young, like you know, young, uh, intriguing talent. But he's literally the only piece on that roster with some legitimate upside. Uh, depending on what you think about Josh Jackson, like. What are you doing? Uh, and Killian Hayes. I'm sorry. I got to bring him up too. Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart. Outside of the new guys you got in the draft and Demboya and whatever you think about Josh Jackson, you have a bunch of guys who aren't good enough to really make you compete for like, let's say, the bottom rung of the Eastern Conference playoff ladder. Uh, can they play for that 10th spot, that play-in tournament? Possibly, depending on how healthy uh, you know Blake Griffin stays throughout the year and whether or not Derrick Rose stays throughout the, the duration of the season. But it's just a bunch of mismatched pieces that really look like they don't have a direction. I look back and I went, what was the Detroit Pistons trying to do? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing with the Pistons that just really was so puzzling to me was their what seemed just like an overwhelming desire to sign guys that the league has agreed are not valid. Guys who did not necessarily equal the value of their pre-existing contract. And then you go out and you sign them to these bigger contracts. And even more trivializing is you're, you're just the best big that you could have signed, you have the opportunity to re-sign and retain, which was Christian Wood. And you just let him go. You know, you, yeah. you go out, you covet, you're a Mason Plumley. Uh, are you... Are, are you starting a Duke farm team? Because we know the plumbers are how effective <laughs> they are when they play for Duke. But in the NBA, I mean, come on. And then you go out and you get a Jaleel Okafor again. Is this – are you it's, – it's Coach K on the way to Detroit? I, I just don't understand. Josh Jackson, you know, you're bringing in all these – you're bringing in these projects, if you will, these fringe NBA guys who never really panned out in the role or expectation that one had for them. Um, and, and it's just very, very confusing because you still have so many question marks around the pieces that you have left on the roster, like a Derrick Rose, like a Blake Griffin. And I mean, just for the questions of how many games are you going to get out of these guys? You know, the injury bug is so real, not to mention the fact you're going to be messing with the potential of, you know, COVID knocking players out of the lineup. And if you're the Pistons, you have more centers on the roster than anything else. Are you going to start five centers and DeLon Wright? I, I hope not. You know, I, I certainly hope not. I'm sure Dwayne Casey does not want that. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it was very, very puzzling for me what the Pistons were doing. You know, maybe there's some kind of salary dump to be had in the future with a Blake Griffin trade, et cetera. I, I don't necessarily see that. I, I'm I'm just really scratching my head pretty hard on the Detroit Pistons offseason. Yeah, it, it, it's puzzling. It's confusing. It doesn't show a sense of direction of what they're trying to do. Like you said, it's project riddled, um, despite having all these veteran guys who are past the age for the most part of being that they just are on the, you know, periphery of the league. And I guess that is emblematic of the Pistons franchise right now. Like they're just going to be around, you know what I mean? They might be good enough to, to win a couple of games and that's not saying a whole lot, you know, so not, they're going to be, they're going to lose, they're going to lose a ton. They're going to lose a ton, but like, they're not going to be like, clearly they're not tanking. 
in that way, you're going to give the ball to Killian Hayes because he's literally like one of the few people you can actually give the ball to to initiate anything and say, okay, man, here you go. Uh, you got 14 bigs and, you know, five of those are power forwards. The other guys are non-shooting fives and uh, go to work, man. Like that's what it, that's what it looks like to me. That They're, they're clearly a loser in my book because I don't know what their game plan was going in. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have any sources in the league or anything like that to say, oh, yeah, you know, these guys are – you know, really trying to go this route or what I would do, this and that. We can arm, I can armchair GM, but that's not even about that. It's just a matter of like, seriously, no, what are you trying to do? Um, because I don't know how you look at that and say that's the best you could do with that roster. You know what I mean? I just, I don't see that. And that, that to me is what's, is what's confusing. So I, 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 they're a loser to me. I think a winner, I would say, I liked what the Trailblazers did. I think the Blazers had really, really solid moves within the means yeah. of what they could actually do. And I'm going to run through their transactions as well. Um, just kind of showcase staying within themselves. In a trade, they acquired in two different trades, Robert Covington from Houston and Ennis Cantor from Boston. Uh, their draft pick was CJ Ellaby, but he was 46 overall, not really a major impact player, even an impact player at all right now. Uh, they signed Derek Jones Jr. and Harry Giles in free agency. Uh, of course, they lost Trevor Reza, Mario Hazonia, Jalen Adams, uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne Gabriel, uh, Hassan Whiteside, as of today. Um, and then, of course, you still have the surrounding core of Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simon, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, Nasir Little, Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic. You re-signed Rodney Hood, and you brought back Carmelo Anthony as well. Those moves are moves that they could make that filled in some of their gaps, specifically in their forward rotation. Uh, with Derrick Jones Jr. bringing some more athleticism and defensive uh, versatility there. Harry Giles, a big man who actually played decently well for Sacramento. You surround them with guys like Gary Trent Jr. had a breakout year last season. Anthony Simons, who you hope can bounce back. You already know what C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Zach Collins, and Yusef Nurkic will do. You hope that Ronnie Hood can come back, bring some offensive pop. And you know that Carmelo Anthony has played uh, in a resurgent season last year, uh, just kind of sticking to what he does. You know, offensively, do what you do within your role. You know, don't expect the ball to go through you. Those days are long gone. And defensively, do what you can to kind of stay in front of your guy. And I think that they put themselves to be another solid uh, team, maybe not the AFC, maybe more like between six and eight, you know? Yeah, and I think some of the, you know, early kind of offseason grades on them maybe had them a little bit high, saying that they were going to be, you know, one of the top seeds in the West. I think the West is still pretty low, and then Portland has a long climb to kind of get there. But I definitely like the moves that they made, and I think that they definitely overhauled their roster as, as one of, you know, the, the best overall outlooks for this coming season, uh, mm-hmm. bringing in Covington. You know, they really needed to improve at the small forward, kind of forward position as a whole, and I thought that they did a good job doing that. Not necessarily with, you know, big names, if you will, or marquee signings, but just by adding depth, because I think that Portland has done a good job kind of creating a culture of, you know, that next man up, uh, and they and they kind of kind of – kind of tend to run deep into their bench as it is. So having more bodies to kind of throw out your Kawhi's, your LeBron's, your Paul George's, et cetera, I think it's really going to help them as they kind of make that arduous trek through the Western Conference regular season uh, heading into the playoffs. So definitely will help them. And, you know, credit to Portland for, for, for identifying a clear need, going out into the market and finding a way to maximize the roster with the flexibility that they were afforded. Because, I mean, Portland didn't come into this offseason with a terrible amount of cap space and, I think, again, that's why you look at a team like Portland and you give them credit. And that's why I just really hold a team like the Clippers, again, just to the fire for what they did not do this offseason. Because clearly we know the need was more at a point guard than, I mean, you, you can use a big. You, you only have to, yeah, I mean, you exactly. can use a big. But clearly you need another, you, you need a point guard. You need a playmaking guard. And I think that 
what we saw with the Clippers last season with them trying to use Kawhi like a Luka Doncic to facilitate the offense and playmate. You burnt him out and you killed yourself. And when you look at what Toronto <laughs> did, where they ran him off the ball because they had a dog in Kyle Lowry to playmate, to create, to score, to facilitate. It, it, it I mean, it, it maximized what Kawhi is best at. Same with, oh, I don't know, Tony Parker when he was paired with Kawhi in San Antonio. Like, it's like the Clippers just did not read the playbook of any team he's had success on and just decided they were going to do their own thing. So credit to Portland for knowing what the need is for the roster because Damian Lillard and CJ, as great as they are, they're not going to be the elite guards that they currently are forever. The guard position is the deepest position in the NBA. And so you really need to, when you have guys who are so sensational, especially Damian Lillard, more specifically, when you have a guy like that who is a mm-hmm. perennial MVP candidate, you have to do everything you can to maximize. To build, yep, to put the pieces around him and build that roster out. You have to. No, you you said I couldn't have said it better than you. I, I mean, you said it. You got to make the most of that opportunity, and you broke down really why the Clippers uh, broke down literally so eloquently. Like that's true. You put uh, Kawhi in a role where you kind of. I don't want to say overmaxed him, but the pressure of that on both ends was a lot. You saw he had no juice left for Game 7. And some of that, yeah, I'm going to say, you know, at the end it was a collective, let's just be real, choke job all across the line. But with that being said, yeah, with that being said, a lot of that, the seeds were sown early with that, doing things that you not have to do with the personnel and not addressing that offseason. A lot of that, especially if you're a contender, is making sure that you can patch holes and, and make changes to upgrade your team, you know, to give a different look, to better position yourselves uh, for the end goal, whether that's continued development, whether that's championship contention, whether that's playoff contention, whatever the case may be. Detroit didn't do that. The Los Angeles Clippers didn't do it enough. Uh, I mean, they got um, Nick Batum off waivers, but, like, first, we don't know if he's washed or not. Second of all, even if, you know, he does bring a little bit of of, of ball handling and offensive initiation from that end, he's not a point guard, and you still have that same weakness. You don't have a lot of offense going to again, through a Kawhi, through a PG, as those guys. And we saw what that led you to. You know what I mean? They're, they're very good, devastatingly good players. But uh, LeBron James, they are not, at least consistently from both ends in order to get your team to offense. They're very much more um, offensively centric for their own offense. And when you're the best to do it, one of the best to do it, why not? But that doesn't include your whole team. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The Clippers were one of the big losers for sure. I'm very solid what the Hawks did. I think that they did not fall into the trap of most teams that are trying to win now immediately where they go and make all these short-sighted moves. You know, a lot of these guys, the deals were solid. The fit actually makes sense on paper, and it remains to be seen how it works out. But at least you can look positively and go, okay, you know what? I see the makings of a good Hawks team here, and not just, oh, they signed, they overpaid for this guy. They got this guy in a last-ditch effort. You know, the desperation moves that most franchises in a situation to Atlanta or even a Phoenix do um, at this juncture, neither of those teams did that. So I'm happy about that. But um. David, I had you here for a minute. Do you have any other teams you want to bring up, winners, losers, you're not even sure yet? I mean, obviously, it's only been a week and some change since the offseason has, like, quote-unquote ended, you know, so it's still it's still going on. But, like, just your knee-jerk reactions. Anything else you'd like to add, man? Uh, I would say if I'm going to call dark horses, one for each conference, uh, I'm going to call Phoenix as my dark horse for the West with adding Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. Um, I'm very excited to see what they do. And if I had to pick one out in the East, um, I would say my dark horse is Philly, and I don't think either one of these teams are teams that got you know your people aren't necessarily talking about. Um, but I think that given the front office situation, given what the moves that they made to the roster in the offseason, uh, they're well positioned to really punch some people in their face uh, unexpectedly. So I'm very, very excited for both of those franchises. 
There you go. I would I would say the same. I'd give uh, Phoenix a good hard look as a dark horse. I like what Minnesota did, even though I don't see them at all as a playoff contender. I liked Anthony Edwards for that fit. I thought he was better there than LaMelo Ball. The return of Ricky Rubio is someone that you bring another adult in the room. And unlike James Johnson, one who could still play, um, you know, reasonably well. <laughs> James Johnson had his moments, but <laughs> Ricky Rubio was starting point guard on a Phoenix Suns team that made a heck of a turnaround last year. So you had that. Um, it's going to be seen how the defense comes together, uh, whatever defense that is. Uh, but offensively, the Minnesota team will be a fun team to watch and definitely a league pass team for certain. Another uh, loser for me, I'd say, is Charlotte. Not sure why they overpaid for Gordon Hayward that way. Yes, I get it. He's a good player. No, he is not worth that much, and he hasn't been worth that much forever. Um, with that being said, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> with that being said, it would be interesting to see how LaMelo Ball works alongside P.J. Washington. You still have Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier for the moment. So let's see kind of what works out for this Hornets team and how they come together. Uh, that's another dark horse team for me. But, um, Aside from that, man, I, I got to say, David, I appreciate you coming on and just kind of talking with me through just not only the brief NBA news we had before training camp starts uh, tomorrow, but also just kind of run through some of the offseason. Uh, there's still going to be a lot more I'm sure you're going to talk about for them. I'm going to have to talk about a lot more in terms of like breaking down some of the teams and ranking and everything. The fun stuff that we have to crunch in real quick before uh, the season starts. But I definitely appreciate having you on, man. I'm going to have to get you on here again for certain. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. Again, Corbin, thanks for having me on tonight's episode. And yes, it, we're into the nitty gritty of the season here. So this is the best time of the year. Um, it's holiday season and it's hoop season all in one. So all the fun you could ask for. I'm really, really excited. And anytime you need another voice on here to talk hoops, I'm happy to do it. All right, man. Hey, I tell people all the time when you say that, it's, it's almost an open invitation for me to get you back. So uh, best believe I'll be doing that, sir. OK. <laughs> Hey, let's lock it in, man. That sounds good to me. Sounds good, man. You can follow David on Twitter at DFB underscore three. You can send him at the box score breakdown, another hoop ball presentation. The box score breakdown, they're going to cover every game uh, just every night. They're going to have action there. It's a great podcast to listen to. Another one to get it all caught up on the events of the night before and just good basketball content. The man today, you know the guy knows his hoop, so make sure to check that out as well uh, a few more housekeeping notes like i said make sure to check out hoopball hoop-ball.com on twitter at hoopball tweets make sure to follow especially for that hoopball 360 it's crazy y'all i got everything you need to level up especially with fantasy basketball starting around very soon so get on that uh you got my bookie y'all my bookie use the coupon code hoopball h-o-o-p a-L-L and get a 100% deposit match bonus plus a free $10 uh, MLB Futures wager voucher. So I guess that's looking forward to when baseball comes back. Check that out. And we also got Manscaped as well. It's Lawnmower 3.0 season. It's the winter, so it's not Lawnmower 3.0 season for me. But if it is for y'all, make sure you promo code Football20 to get 20% off your order plus that good free shipping. All right. So uh, with that being said, follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. And until tomorrow, y'all, I'm Frosty. My man, David, you Frosty, bro? Oh, man. Frosty, Frosty. Yes, sir. This has been a <laughs> hey, y'all stay Frosty, and we'll talk to y'all real, real soon, all right? <laughs> all right, y'all. All right, y'all.